good start? Is it starting there? I can't tell. It started. Okay. Um, today is, what is today? Today is September 13th, 2020. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 25. From the paragraph, there is a solution through the end of the page, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were. Today's reader is Karen C. from South Jersey, and our speaker today is Jen T. from California. Um, Karen will read that page, and that'll be followed by a 20-minute share by Jen. Thank you so much for both of you. And Karen, if you could please do the reading. And Karen, you're not unmuted. There I am. Hi, this is Karen from South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm reading page 25. There is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had a deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lived in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, plotting out the blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to, and we were willing to make the effort. I pass. Thank you so much, Karen. And I want to introduce Jen from California, Jen T from California, who I so value her recovery, and I'm very looking forward to her share. Thank you, Jen. You're muted. You're muted, Jen. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start the timer for myself too. <clears throat> Uh, I'm Jen T. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, bulimic, anorexic, and very grateful to be here today. Thank you, Kim, so much for um, helping me to get up earlier than usual on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm sleepy, maybe a little giddy. Um, I've been in OA uh, since 1989. I was... Um, 15 years old when I walked in the door and um, I don't remember ever being like a moderate 
or hard either. I feel like I was, I went right to gutter is how it felt for me. Um, because I was never able to manage and control my food. And the screaming in my ear that food did for me was constant and nonstop for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I, I dropped out of high school when I was 15 because I could not stop eating at home and I couldn't get, I couldn't go to school. I mean, it was just really bad for me for as long as I can remember. I started in Alateen at 13. And then by the time I was 16, I had done my first fourth step. And I remember um, feeling a lot of freedom after I did my fifth step. Um, and uh, I thought it was good. I felt that relief from five and, you know, felt some neutrality. And it was the first time. And I was like, okay, maybe this step stuff really works. Um, but I didn't continue on with the steps. And so it's not a mystery while, why, you know, just months later, I was knee deep back in the food again. I feel like um, OA was a hard place for me to stay because when I was eating, I always had like kind of a head full of program and it always kind of screwed things up for me um, because I knew that I, I was belonged in OA. But I remember that I never met anybody who had recovered from this illness. I didn't know anybody. I had never met anybody who had, who had time in this, from this disease at an OA meeting. I just didn't. And so it just, that wasn't attractive to me. You know, I remember that um, there was this gal who got up and took a chip for like, 28 years being in OA and um, she sat down and then she continued to share again in the meeting and talked about how she was really struggling with the food and there was newcomers in that meeting and I know that I just felt like man I don't I don't want to be here this isn't this is no there's no solution here nothing um, I feel like if I had been presented with the information a long time ago, maybe things would have been different. I saw that AA book. I saw the big book on the tables at OA meetings all the time and never once picked it up because I didn't think it applied to me. So I never thought to look at it. Um, you know, I feel like food and my disease, it took my whole life. It took everything that was important to me. It took all my dreams. It took my relationships. It Anything and everything that I wanted for my life, it was destroyed by this illness. And I feel like I was just a shell of a human being. You know, I feel like I was a real shell. When, uh, when I first heard the message was I, uh, in 2008, there was a woman in Malibu who I heard did the 12 steps around anything, <clears throat> around whatever your ailment, what ailment was. And so I reached out to her and begged her to work with me because I was dying. I was dying. You know, I'd been to several eating disorder hospitals and, 
you know, <clears throat> up and down the scale and um, unable to hold a job. And she said she would do it. And she got me started in the big book. And we had a bottom line. We had a bottom line. There was no like food uh, sobriety necessarily, but we had a bottom line. And as she took me through this book, I don't know. I can't say which day it was that it happened where things changed exactly. But I know that this book, when you open it, has a life of its own. It speaks. It speaks to you. You can hear God threaded through the pages over and over. I mean, I 25 is impressive because, in my opinion, uh, the fourth dimension isn't easy to describe. Yet it's eloquently done here on page 25. It talks about the leveling of our pride, steps 1 through 12. It says it requires. It's required. Got to do it. And it says we saw that it worked in others, and I did see that it worked in other people. Um, I'd never met anyone like us who had recovered, but she introduced me to somebody who had five years out of the food and was recovered. And I just thought, well, you know, she's not as bad as me, you know, clearly. she was. She's not as bad as me because people like me don't recover. And so I let her qualify. She qualified for about 15 minutes. And I was like, yeah, she's as bad as me. <laughs> it's right. She's right. She's got it all. Yep. I know all of that. And um, that was my first glimpse of hope. I think that I ever had that maybe it was possible that someone like me could recover. Um, and it didn't, I didn't have to do very much. I remember just feeling I had done lots of 12 steps before, you know, um, I mean, I was in another 12 step program and I'm in my 18th year there. And I saw lots of people who recovered through this book, but I just, no one ever said that I could use it, that it was for me until it was, until it was presented to me that it is for me, that the book was written for me. And every single page, I don't know, I just started coming to life, but I was so desperate and it wasn't the food that necessarily, it wasn't my worst. It wasn't my worst with the food. It was what it had become of my life. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything and I could never do anything anyway. But it was at the end of the line where I just thought, I can't, I just, and I was so suicidal. I just went, I can't live abstinent and I can't live in the food. I don't know what to do. And I feel like that was the story of my life that I was sat in this middle ground where there was this screaming of the disease, you know, um, just walking through grocery stores. I mean, I'd never had peace walking through a grocery store. It was a constant negotiation in my head. Have it, don't have it, have it, don't have it, have it, don't have it. You know, standing in line at the checker. I mean, torture, torture, because they have all those things that have all kinds of colors. And I'd be like, uh, let's see, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And I never, the food always went out. 
the food always won out. And I felt like it would just drag me by my hair up and down the aisles every time I walked into the store. And, you know, I've got, it wasn't just the grocery store. There's 7-Eleven and, you know, there was my whole life. I could never drive past a donut shop free ever, even a program. I would call someone and say, okay, I'm driving past the donut store in about five minutes, stay on the phone with me. And so I'd have a fellow stay on the phone with me all the way home, past the donut shop. I made it. Get off the phone. And you know what? I would double back and go right back to that donut shop. None of the, nothing, no tools or phone calls. Those are great. Those are great. But they never held, they never held me. They weren't enough for me. They didn't even scratch the surface for me. So, you know, and I've known a lot of people who are like, they go meeting to meeting to meeting, you know, and for me, it was like, I go to a meeting. Sometimes I felt good. Sometimes I felt like I needed another meeting, but you know, that's just not, it was never enough for me until I found someone who the problem had been solved. And then there was a, there was ray of hope for me. Um, when it talks about <clears throat> we come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we've been living it, absolutely, I was dying. I was a dead human being. I don't remember having any color. I don't remember anything that I wanted to do. The food always smashed that. It was always smashed. I was always, always, always trying to find and figure out how to get freedom around the food. But I like when it says, when therefore we were approached by those in whom the, whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us. And thank God there was somebody who had gone through this book, who was a food, who compulsive overeater and bulimic, who <clears throat> gave me that hope that made it so that I felt like I was at the breaking point. Um, I think a big part of my breaking point was I got pregnant with my daughter and um, you know, I wasn't even really in a relationship with anybody, but always looking for anything to keep me out of the food. Um, even if it was just one day and I thought I can't bring my daughter. I can't bring my daughter into this. I don't want to bring a child into this. I can't. And I think that made me even more desperate. And I lost my house. I lost my job. I was a dancer for a lot of years. And I remember that I went to Las Vegas to do a show. And I was in the Las Vegas hotel room. And it's not easy to travel back and forth. That way you have to travel with a lot of stuff. You have to get licenses. There's, it's not really an easy process. Um, but I remember being in this hotel room <clears throat> and I was hungry a little bit and I wanted a sandwich really, really bad. But I said, Jen, don't eat because you won't eat just that sandwich. And it was about seven o'clock at night and I just had to make it to 11, which is when I had to be at where I had to be. And I was like, just don't do it. And I was like, I'm just going to have a BLT. Just like the book, right? Just going to have a BLT. Now, I had traveled all the way there for this show. 
And it wasn't even an hour before I got in that hotel room and I was all lit up again. I was knee deep in anything that I could get my hands on and in hotel rooms in Las Vegas, it's a crime scene for people like me. I just, um, I didn't make it. And that was the story of my life. I couldn't make it. Everything stopped short. This is the opening and the spiritual awakening that came as a result of these steps. I never could have imagined. I never dreamt that this life was possible. I never thought I would have neutrality around food, that I would go into a grocery store and I wouldn't hear any screaming from the food, that I'd stand in a checkout line and just be looking for my wallet. Now I'm gonna purchase an item, not standing there in negotiations, you know, with, with things that always won anyway. I, uh, I didn't expect the fourth dimension. I didn't expect that. But when it happened, it just felt like it was almost too good to be true. But it's not. It's not too good to be true. This book is for us. It's for me. It's written for me. You know, and sometimes I wonder, like, my thing is, how much are we getting the message out? You know, it was an OA for <clears throat> 20 years before I met someone who recovered. You know, who said, the answers are here in the big book. This book's written for us, too. And so I've always felt like, how important is it that we get the message out? How many people are suffering that want this, but don't know that it's available? That was me. I wanted this. And thank God someone guided me through that first step. First step felt like, I feel like I've always been in my first step. I do. I feel like I've always been in that freaking step and just never could move into two. But one catapulted me into two. And something started to happen because I was desperate. And then two catapulted me into three. And I made a decision that I was gonna turn my will and my life over to something that wasn't sure about, but I had felt some shifts and it was possible. So I made the decision. And when I did my step four, and I know I should be closing up here. When I did my step four, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote because I was dying and I was so desperate and someone told me all you gotta do is get to five and you're gonna feel some relief. But when I did that four step and I saw a notebook that was this thick, I said, no wonders, I've been trying to kill myself all of these years. It was right there in black and white. Oh my gosh, no wonders, no wonders I wanted to die. But this process, going through five, six, seven, starting in eight, I had a sponsor who didn't believe in making amends over the phone. You had to make them in person. So I went on an amends tour, is what I called it, got in my car and just drove everywhere I could to get those amends made in powerful, powerful, powerful. Each amend after the next, I walked more and more free. And it talks about in here, it says, rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. Fourth dimension. 
Who knew there was a fourth dimension? But there is. I don't, I don't have problems with food anymore. There's no screaming in my ear. Just the light of God. The light of God who, who exists within me. I don't really have to pray. I'm already praying. It's like a consciousness. And for me, I just feel like it's almost as page as like a love letter. It really is. Boy, did he describe it. Boy, deep and effective spiritual experiences. I'm trying to keep my eye on the time, Kim. Yep, okay. Deep and effective spiritual experiences revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. So nothing about changing my attitude about food. Didn't say anything like that. Didn't say you need to change your attitude about what you're going to eat for dinner. Didn't say that. Revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator, which has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous, he has commenced to accomplish things for us which we could never do by ourselves. And boy, what a good God. And thank goodness for this book, which, by the way, is falling apart. This is actually just a piece of the book. <laughs> Everything falls out of my book, which is a good thing. You know, they have the saying, like, you know, if your book's falling apart, it's a good indication that your life isn't kind of thing. Um, and I have a minute and a half left, and I just want to leave it with this, that, you know, I uh, the other day my daughter had some party or something, and we had to go in a donut shop and, um, you know, she bought some donuts and, you know, we walked out and I just thought this was my playground. This was my playground. I never could have done this. I never could have walked in a donut shop and there was no screaming. Nothing appealed to me. There was no, uh, God, I wish I could have that. I'm jealous. You know, I mean, I go out to eat. I went out to eat with my parents not that long ago. And, um, and we were talking and I ordered some food and um, and now he just kept talking and my dad's like, he interrupts me and he's like, are you gonna eat your food? And I was like, oh, and I thought, I couldn't believe it. I thought I used to hate people like me who could like talk and like they weren't paying attention to what was on their plate. But now I just know a new life. I know it exists for us. I, I believe in this. I love a vision for you and all of our family. And I feel like I have a message to carry to other people who want it. So um, my time is up and uh, I'm really grateful that I got to be here with family today. Thanks so much, Kim, and I will pass. Thank you so much, Jen, from that language of the heart. Um, so we can stop the recording.